Welcome to episode 78 of the RxP Podcast, where usually three working professionals talk about the games, movies, and shows they love to enjoy in their free time. I'm your host, Alex, and joining me are my co-host, Tiffany. Hello, hello. Matt. What's going on? And our perennial fourth co-host, Yasser. Hello, little Jimmys and Jamanthas. Jimmy's and Jamantha's. Welcome. Welcome, Yasser. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Happy to talk about Hogwarts Legacy and everything else. Oh, yes. Of course. Of course. I, and honestly, you know, for those uh, of you out there, we were discussing Hogwarts Legacy before recording this episode. So that's where that reference came from. <laughs> but also, Hogwarts Legacy will come up later in this episode because today we're going to be talking about, you know, something that we also do here on this podcast and that is reviews. So in case you didn't know, we have a sub-series on RxP called Pure Review mm-hmm. where we talk about, you know, shows, movies, games and give our opinions and thoughts on them as well as give a recommendation of whether or not uh, to experience said show, movie or game. And so typically those are yes or no, so we keep it very binary, it's very easy to tell. It's is it something you we think you enjoy? Is it something we don't think you enjoy? Or is it something we think you enjoy with caveats? But on the other end of the spectrum, and for every review out there, right, that we all come to uh, look up, you know, whether we're anticipating something or if we're uh, nervous and we don't know whether or not we'd like it. And that is the typical review score that, you know, most publications out there give certain things, right? And so today we're, we're going to be talking about it because I'll be honest, you know, a lot of this inspiration for this came from a recent release that I've been playing recently that had gotten very low reviews, you know, comparatively speaking, and that I think are mostly unjustified. But, you know, in this scape of having to give, you know, from a conventional standpoint, numbers to reviews, I can understand why it would get such low scores. But when you bring it up in the perspective of a lot of other things, it doesn't make quite as much sense, at least in my eyes, why it would get this score when something else that also came out in the recent time frame got, you know, a certain score, namely higher, that I would argue is even worse in the state that this was in. But before I get to that, I just want your guys' thoughts. Like, what do you think about, like, review scores in general? Like, giving numbers on a score. Like, do you think it's just a necessary evil to, you know... By the fact that people like to just see a number and it's simple that way, or do you think it's easier in our minds to like understand like how good something is by giving it a number? I think it's a necessary evil. I have I will admit that I've scrolled through an IGM review just to get to the bottom 100%. to see what the score <laughs> is. But then if the score intrigues me, then I go back and read the text or listen to the review. For me, I've come to realize after like a decade of like looking at game reviews and deciding whether or not I'll make purchases based off them, I honestly have to really like think about the reviewer mm-hmm. and if they have the same type of interests that I do. 
Like that's where I, that's where I've come down to it, right? I mean, normally most um, outlets will give the game to a fan to review, so you know you could take that either way. They're either like hypercritical because they love this type of game so much, or they're very forgiving because they like this game so much. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I have found at some of my favorite news outlets. I've found reviewers that I really do align um, similar interests with. And so when I re- see a score from them, I'm like, oh, okay, this is like kind of on par with me. Um, but for me, I like it as a quick and dirty, especially because a lot of the times these reviews come out in the morning when, you know, on a weekday when I'm working. <laughs> so like a quick tweet, <laughs> click on a link, look, scroll all the way down. Oh, it's an eight. Okay, I'll listen to that later and see why it's an eight. Or good. I pre-ordered that game anyway. Now mm-hmm. I have something to look forward to. That's kind of where I see on that. I feel like IGN maybe, what was it, four years ago, five years ago, something. They like piloted not having review scores. They just like, nope, we're only going to like just write a review. And you're going to have to mm-hmm. read it to figure out what we want to say. And to me, I was like, that sucks. <laughs> because I hated <laughs> it. Because for me, it's kind of like Tiffany. Like I... You know, we have a finite time. There's so many games that come out. And I just want to know, hey, is this worth it? Like, if it at least gets a seven in my mind, and that's just like just a random number I chose. If it got a seven, then there's a chance that I'll enjoy it, right? Like, no matter what. It's like if that seven has like very reasonable reasons why it's a seven, that's just as good as like a 10 to me. You know what I mean? If like someone gives it a seven because they hate X, Y, and Z, if I don't really care, if X, Y, and Z is missing, then that seven's awesome. Um, so I need that though because I don't want to have to read <laughs> and watch everything from the from the get go. Because I also don't want to get a lot of spoilers with some of these games too. We start talking about these That's narrative true. games, like I don't want to be seeing a ton of combat because I don't want to like already have mental images of what that game looks like. Because I hey, just tell me it's a nine. Just tell me that it's an eight. And I'll give it a shot, and I'll get to see that firsthand. That's interesting. Honestly, I found this topic interesting because I feel like I don't follow the same process as you guys might, in the sense that for games specifically, I don't think this is true necessarily for movies for me Mm -hmm. historically, but for games specifically, I don't feel like I've ever paid attention to reviews to help coordinate whether or not I should get a game or not. Um... I feel like gaming to me is a little bit different than a movie per se because there's so much information about a game before uh, you uh, first sit down and play it. Uh, you can see gameplay, you can see mechanics of the game, you know what type of game it is. Um, there's a lot that you can just kind of delve into as far as information and previews of games that the score of a review is only going to be a confirmation bias for me whether or not I get it or don't get it. I already know mm. whether or not I'm going to enjoy a game or want to try a game before the reviews even come out. And the reviews just tell me, um, is what my thinking was accurate or do I need to rethink this and maybe watch some Twitch videos to see what the gameplay looks like even more before I go ahead and purchase it. Um, so it's interesting. Um, I'm interested to hear Alex's specifics now since uh, he was very vague about (laughs) what game he was talking about. Well, almost like with that point, Yasser, I like Uh completely agree with you, right? I I would definitely, like if I really want to play a game, 
like let's say Biomutant was a game that I was really anticipating and I want to play that game. The review though to me, I guess the way that I see it is almost, do I need to play this now? Like, is this a now time to play Hogwarts Legacy or is it a piece of trash and like we need to like give it some time in the oven before I play it like 100 patches from now. So I, I see where you're coming from, but for me it's like, oh, I only have limited time and maybe limited games I can play in a year. Should I like wait for this? Or do I need to get on this zeitgeist because Hi-Fi Rush came out and it's like going bananas. Like I need to play this right now. So before I get to the, the games I was being a little bit vague on, I loved how all three of you went first because there's a point that each of you made that I do want to bring up. And I love how distributed it was. And Tiffany brought up specifically is it is the actual reviewer, right? So it's the other side of the review to say it really is important, I think, you know, especially when you look at any kind of critic, right, that it doesn't matter not just what the person says, but it's also who's saying it. And that really gives you a flavor of really why that person is reviewing it in such a way. I think that's important because, like, for me, you know, you can go read a review and say oh this is like a six or whatever but then when you read the person maybe you look at their history you see the things that they've liked in the past it gives a better understanding of saying it would make sense that this reviewer would give something like this a six because you know historically this either isn't their wheelhouse or they just generally don't like Mm -hmm. these types of things Mm -hmm. which is Mm -hmm. fine then right because it gives you context and really what's important is to right to understand the review it's not just what the review says, but it's also, is that person biased? And that's the other side, right, for that Yasser brought up to say, especially with, you know, I agree with Yasser in games, is Mm -hmm. that typically I don't let reviews control what I go to play and what I don't. I use it, and it is also Matt brought up, as a clarifier to say, hey, is this something that is hot off the presses, right? Like, am I going to want to play this day one? You know, I pre-order it. I'm getting it, you know, hopefully shipped day one because I still buy games physically like the old (laughs) man that I am. (laughs) And, you know, there's no pre-order, pre-download business for me. And uh, am I going to enjoy this out the gate? Or is it something that, you know, can it be fixed by day one patches? Can it be fixed by, you know, day or one... um, month one patches even right and so it really gives you a lot of clarity to say hey this might be a good game like this could be a seven but if they fix the bugs it could be eight it could be a nine right Mm -hmm. like maybe it's one of those types of experiences that could take more time and really right that's something that only really applies to games you know they don't edit movies or shows right after they come out like right. there's the no Snyder cut chance of redemption <laughs> oh, <no. Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> typically that doesn't happen um but also what matt brought up in terms of reviews, I think also draws a fine line is that, and I feel like I hope that this comes across more, like maybe it is there, but, or maybe publications should do more about it is how much do you spoil in a review, right? Does it make sense or how much does it make sense? Or when is it necessary to reveal things, especially about the narrative, right? Cause I feel like gameplay, although there are some games I would argue you shouldn't reveal it, like some certain aspects about God of War 2018, you probably shouldn't reveal gameplay-wise, but that also ties back into the narrative. But there should be more clarity on when you make those decisions in terms of should you talk about it if it is important, right? Because then I think if this is an underlying or one of the underlying core reasons why you're giving it such a score 
then you would explain that, right? To say specifically it was this moment that either bumped it up or brought it down, right? And in those cases, I feel like maybe you have a disclaimer, maybe like put that in the, you know, headline or byline or something say, you know, we're going to talk about, you know, potentially sensitive material in here. So don't read if you want to scroll mm-hmm. down, look at the score as Matt normally does or Tiffany and, you know, move <laughs> on with your day. But a lot of good points, right? Because I feel like reviews are a tool, right? Effectively in one way or the other, whether it's Matt and Tiffany uh, looking to get that whole stated opinion or it's Yasser and I just kind of touching base to say, you know, what does the general public really feel about this, right? Or mm-hmm. what does this reviewer, mm-hmm. what, you know, Metascore really, what is the general public feeling about this Metascore? Um, and I feel like those are kind of the core I guess, aspects to say, how much does a review matter, right? I know here on Peer Review, we try to just give it a binary recommendation because I feel like really, I think we came from it from the perspective of, is this just worth your time, right? And I feel like that's just a binary thing, right? Are you going to spend time watching, reading, playing this thing or should you just spend your time doing something else? And I feel like that's a lot easier to summarize by yes or no than it is to be like, well, it's an eight it's about an eighth's worth of your time out of ten. <laughs> and you know and to people, right, I think that's part of the problem to say, what does that mean? Right. And we kinda went into it, but I wanna know your guys' opinions. It's like, is there a bar Matt kinda talked about where it's like if it's at least a seven, he can be confident that it's something probably worth checking out, but like does it matter like should we have a more standardized like system because like we both have the sense of people giving it you know one to five stars you know one, a scale of from one to ten out of numbers but nothing's ever standardized right like a five doesn't oh a five out of five doesn't always translate to a 10 out of 10 right mm-hmm. like it could be like a nine out of ten you know like there's no direct correlation between all of these things but typically we average it to a hundred point scale right out of a hundred and so do you think there should be some sort of standardization or is there standardization in your guys's minds to say you know if it's a four out of ten this is what that means or if it's an eight out of ten this is what it means to me honestly Sorry, Tiffany. I I was just going to say, I mean, based on what Tiffany and Matt have already said, I don't feel like standardization of reviews can do anything really meaningful because Mm -hmm. like everyone's already mentioned, reviews are very subjective. That's Mm -hmm. the biggest, like that's the the crux of the issue, trying to interpret a review. Um, Like Tiffany said, you have to know the reviewer. You need to know their interests and their likes and dislikes in games. And it's very unlikely, uh, at least I have never run into a reviewer that has all the same um, likes and dislikes that I do, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So to try to standardize review scores really doesn't solve the main issue of it being super subjective. And at the end of the day, that's kind of what you have to use your judgment for to figure out whether or not a review is um, really relevant to uh, your gaming experiences. Yeah, I think what I was kind of leaning towards was like, I agree that I don't need standardization of reviews. My caveat is that I just need to know what your scale is or Mm -hmm. like a blurb about it. I need to know the definition of it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this is potentially coming out from our professional backgrounds like you know in medical literature (laughs) when people say a severe like someone has severe sepsis or someone has a severe infection what does severe mean as if you define 
what severe means and I'm on the same page as you. Because right. like one article can say this is severe, like if your temperature is above a certain level, but another article could say like, no, that was just mild or something. Mm-hmm. So as long as I know what your definitions are, then we're good. Yeah, because like you're coming with a review, it's like such a subjective thing and you're trying to make it an objective scale. And that like, unless you know the definitions, it doesn't make any sense. I think honestly, my favorite ranking or rating system actually comes from uh, Gerard the Completionist. Because I, I'm, I consider myself a completionist too. So I've loved his mm-hmm. YouTube for, you are, Matt, for ages. You know, your 42 Platinums show your completion. That's oh right. My God. That's right. Um, but like <laughs> when he goes through a game, he takes a deep dive going through everything that he likes, everything he dislikes, and he rates it based upon if you should complete it. Like, should you play it? Should you finish it? Should you complete it? And like complete it is his like, five out of five that means like he loves this so much and it has something of value if you complete it to me that like almost like the the word definition replacing the numbers makes so much more sense to me because then you know it and the same with ign like ign i think there's seven or maybe there's i think it's there's seven is good or something right but like right there's six is okay like a six isn't failing it's not like you're getting a 60 percent on an exam like it's okay like it's fine you might find something you like here it's not bad and i feel like people if you don't make it a a seven or if you get negative points on fantasy critic like some of my games did last year like (laughs) it's just like oh this is a failure like this is not worth my time and that's not always the case yeah, I definitely agree. I think uh, an interesting thing that you guys brought up is just clearly defining it. I know it's at that point, as Matt brought up, with how IGN also gives every numbered rank a uh, description. So they usually have some sort of you know word describing it. So like 10 out of 10, right? That's a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, 9 out of 10 is amazing. And I feel like that does... it aids in helping someone understand to say if i give it this number why like what does that represent also at the same time i feel like maybe publications and not just ign limited but in general giving a score to anything they shouldn't be afraid to use the scale right because i feel like if you have a scale especially let's just keep it simple and say it's one to ten using only the uh ten so one two three four five six etc that you need to use every entry, right? Because if you have, let's say, a bunch of 10s, like, you know, or let's say six to 10s, you better have at least some one to fives because I need to know if this is what you consider a seven, what do you consider a two, right? Like, I think there needs to be a reason for that part of the scale to exist because not everything can be a seven, right? Like, Like, because these scores also kind of feel relative, even though they shouldn't be, I feel like it better defines it to say, I'm going to call this a seven because what you'd expect from quote unquote sevens, right, is this type of experience. And then you can go look at a bunch of other things to say, oh, these are also seven level experiences, but not everything is considered the same, right? And so we kind of get into this weird rounding nonsense of like, oh, these are all sevens, but it's like plus or minus, you know, it could be like a 6.9 or 7.1. Whereas like, really, I feel like we should have the one to two, like, even though that would probably put the game on some sort of dead to rights list if it was ever given a one out of 10, (laughs) especially by IGN, I would say there probably are games definitely out there. Like maybe they're not games that they review, but there has to be something, right? 
that's really interesting that you say that because there was literally like an explanation article or something that came out from IGN. They I don't did. know recently within the last like few I months read that. to a year. <laughs> yeah, like basically they said that. I mean, they're added a lot because a lot of their reviews are like seven and higher, and they pretty much kind of give a rational explanation in that they try not to waste their time on games that aren't gonna be at least good and so like why would you put why would you pay someone to play a game that's not good and to write about how not good it is versus like you want to help I guess you know because they're technically a website they want to promote and you know get sponsorships with companies that like want to push the game I mean I'm not saying that they get paid to like give games a high score Mm. but i'm sure the games that have a big budget behind it that do put a lot of love and care into their games that also do want to enter these partnerships will have somewhat of at least of like a six level game at hand right and to tag along to that i mean these websites are controlled by clicks and views right so if you're going to be reviewing a game that no one really wants to play and it's going to review poorly that doesn't really do anything for IGN. It doesn't improve their bottom line at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why you're just not going to see them as often as the games that you know are going to be quality and are going to have at least an expected score of six or higher. Um, so yeah, I think that article does a great job of explaining the reason behind their review system and why they switched to that 20-point uh, scale like they did. Um, but I feel like it's a really difficult ask to have games reviewed on a consistent basis that end up with scores of three out of 10. Mm -hmm. I do have to also say like, so what for you guys, do you think people can only score a game if they complete it? Like what if a game is so bad that they're like, this is a one and they just can't, they can't, they can't, they got to stop. Cause like to me, like a one or a two is like unplayable Mm -hmm. to like unfinishable. So, like, I could never score a game because I've never finished it. But to me, it's just that terrible. If it's your job, you should be finishing the game. Oh. That's I, that's my opinion I, on that. I agree. Because <laughs> I feel like there's some things that if you don't experience it all, like, are you really able to give a, a good rating on something? Like, in my mind. And I, I don't think so. Um, like, I have a recent uh, kind of, similar thing to this for myself is I played through Hi-Fi Rush and I think a bunch of people are giving it nines. And for me, I was like, this is like a good time. Like it's an eight, you know, I was telling Yasser, I was like, yo, you play this on game pass, right? It, it's on there. You just need to play it. Like I wasn't super into like the, the rhythm game, but like, this is something special. It's very forgiving. Like, I think it's good. I think it's a really good game. And then I started like doing some cleanup achievements and then i started using some different combos because i was like trying to unlock all the combos to get like certain achievements and then when i started experiencing these combos i'm like i have not even been playing this game like i have literally not even playing this game (laughs) i i finished the game again just for fun like i'm i'm not 100%ing it because i don't want to play the game five times which it requires you to do that um dang but playing it that second time like it was such a it was more rich to me than ever. And like, I changed my GG rating to an eight to a 4.5 out of five. Like that playing that second time, like actually completing it to where you need to, where you're like experiencing all the things and the post game content, 
like, yeah, that changed my experience from a four out of five to a four and a half out of five. And so like for me, I think if you're, if you're, if it's your job and if you take it seriously, then you need to finish it because that's when you're really going to know, Hey, is this worth it? Yeah, I agree with their points. It definitely, in some cases that that gives you the holistic perspective, right? To be like, really, there's nothing redeeming about it. On the flip side, I would say because games are an interactive medium, if there's a bug that just prevents you from finishing the game, then that's the moment you can say you can't, you're like, you're going to stop, right? Mm -hmm. Because those are the rare moments of literally I cannot get to the end because (laughs) the game is coded (laughs) such that I cannot get to the end. Therefore, it might be a one because of that, right? Like maybe you enjoyed everything up to it or it could be and i forget the game but it could be like a game where it's like oh our ending is dlc go pay extra for it like that could knock it down too (laughs) no there was a big name game i forget off the top of my head but in the past like decade there was a game that did that where they hit they hid the true ending behind paid dlc so it wasn't even packaged with the game um but on the flip side you know i guess this is a similar thing like right for how about shows and movies should you have to also watch the whole thing? Because now I'll, I'll and I'm going to call IGN out on this because I hate the fact that they review episodes. Like recently in the past, like four or five years, they are reviewing episodes of these seasonal shows. Mm-hmm. And I think, mm-hmm. especially to me for TV in particular, right? Because it's episodic in nature. And so this is coming out either in a binge style manner, right? As Netflix likes to do day one, or it's coming on a weekly basis as Disney likes to do, you know, and Netflix also in turn at certain times. But I feel like, albeit it is helpful, as you guys mentioned, right? At a glance mm-hmm. to have, uh, you know, customers or consumers see this number and say, oh, if this episode's like a five out of 10, I'm going to know it's not as good as let's say this other episode that was like a 10 out of 10, right? Like that's good understanding, but also I feel like to me, I don't want that to warp my perspective because really I feel like a season, like shows are built around the season. So you should be enjoying or at least consuming everything like throughout the whole, you know, every episode of the season and then maybe give the whole season a rating, right? And to me, that makes a lot more sense. I despise, like, this is my, I <laughs> oh my hate gosh. these episodic ratings because it's so pointless. Dear I feel like, IGN. Like you mentioned, <laughs> like, Stop it what is you're doing. the whole clickbaity, you know, customer, <laughs> they're trying to make money. I understand that from a capitalist perspective. Yes, great, make as much money as you can. But it just feels wrong to like give these singular episodes a rating because maybe this episode was not as good, but if you look at it in the perspective of the season, it was maybe important yeah. still. I, I completely agree with you because I've been noticing it a lot with The Last of Us. Like I have tried my best not to see the tweets that they tweet out because a lot of times I'm not going to be staying up. Like I might watch it at nine, but a lot of times I'm like, ah, it's a Sunday. I got like the the Sunday scaries. I got to get to bed and like start planning my week. So I'm probably not going to do it. We're probably going to watch it on Monday night. But like, am I on Twitter? Yes. Yes, I am on Twitter. And I'm seeing them put that score ever since the third episode of The Last of Us, which was like severely impactful, right? Like it is a heart-wrenching story. But because they told me it was a heart-wrenching story, I was already expecting it. And I feel like oh, the response dang. was blunted in my mind. Yeah. But it, yeah. it wasn't because it wasn't yeah. impactful. Like, I completely agree it was impactful, but I do feel like some of that was robbed out of me. 
because it's that whole like it's just a spoiler it's it's a it's like a soft spoiler which is like hey this is good you should have higher expectations and like that higher expectations definitely blunts the response so now i i try to avoid ign at all cost because hey at 8 55 <laughs> or 8 50 or nine o'clock eastern time they're gonna be posting some stupid tweet with a nine out of ten because that's all these episodes are is <laughs> just straight nines because it's an awesome show um but yeah just take some of it away I'm, I'm with both of you guys i don't like tv specific episode reviews but at the same time i feel like it goes back to the same issue I had with reviews in general, um, which is I already know that I like the show or I don't like the show. Um, I don't need, if I'm watching the show currently, to know what the score was of the show, the episode that just came out tonight. I know I'm going to watch it. I, I'll have my own perspective once I watch it, and then it'll be fun. Uh, I think this is probably more what it's for, at least this is how I interpret it. But after I watch the episode, I want to see what other people thought. I want to see what IGN thought. I want to see what my, my friends thought. I want to see what the comment section thought. Um, so that's kind of where I think their perspective is, is they can get more discussion and um, clicks through having a review and an opinion on it mm-hmm. rather than trying to spoil it for Matt over here. Poor guy. Poor me. <laughs> so what's I have become more liberal with in the in the reading world in um it's called dnf and that's when you do not finish and so like people will use that term a lot for books so like oh i had to uh. dnf it or like that's a dnf like don't waste your time couldn't even finish it so for me with books um i rate books on a on the goodreads scale which is out of five stars and there's like no half points or quarter points or anything mm-hmm. i don't know what we call that where it's like whole number out of five but if i have to dnf something for me that's when i give it a one like that's how that's like my personal that's tiffany's one star Mm -hmm. if it's a one star book i either dnf'd it or i thought it was absolutely horrific or like not worth anyone's time like don't even don't there was a a bug on page 69 (laughs) she just couldn't get to the end after that yeah Yeah, exactly someone writes a little bug and they're like what do i do here what do i do (laughs) yeah and you know i've dnf'd shows i've dnf'd plenty of shows Mm -hmm. um but like i haven't scored quote unquote score i guess i don't know like shows i never really i've never thought about scoring shows but for me like books movies and games are something that i like i'll like look at review scores for and you know kind of going back a little bit to like knowing the definition of a score i literally my world was rocked when i finally understood how rotten tomatoes scores (laughs) movies because okay uh, before we get there, okay. could you explain for the listeners in case they don't understand or they might think they understand the Rotten Tomatoes tomato meter, but maybe they don't. So can you elucidate for them what yeah, it actually is? Yeah, totally. So for me, growing up in the last like decade and a half, I would look at Rotten Tomatoes like or like I would hear like it's certified fresh on like mm-hmm. a YouTube ad or like on TV or something. I'm like, oh, dude. So like if I saw a tomato score of like, 85 or higher I'm like yo like this is it like I'm excited I'm gonna go watch it but I literally learned like a year and a half ago a year ago a Rotten Tomato score isn't a bunch of people rating it out of 100 and an average of 100 it's literally the percentage of critics who recommend it or do not recommend it 
So yeah, which it's basically our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so which, we're suing which... Rotten Tomatoes tonight, guys. <laughs> tonight. But they do it on a five point scale, right? So recommend is at least three out of five stars for Rotten Tomatoes. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it's a different way to interpret it, but to me, I like the Rotten Tomatoes score a lot, um, because it really gives you a good consensus of whether or not people like something, not how good it actually is, but whether or not it's worth experiencing for yourself and you figure out whether or not you give it an eight out of 10 or a six out of 10. I mean, now that I know that, that it's literally a scale of how much someone likes it, like it like now I kind of understand it more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. But before I seriously thought that was like the rate of how good they thought it was. But it was like, no, like generally people really like it and they recommend it. And so now I'm like, oh, that's what that means. <laughs> and like, and yeah. And I agree with Yasser. Like I wish the games industry used something like Ryan Tomatoes as a more like holistic way to say, you know, I know we're still just going purely based on numbers and averages to say, oh, this is a 7.2 out of 10 or this is a 9 out of 10. But I feel like having that just percentage to say percentage of people that like it and recommend it and percentage of people that don't like it and don't recommend it, I feel like is just a better way, right? Because especially with games, games are so much more subjective, I feel like, right? Because they're an interactive medium. You know, this mm-hmm. isn't like a show or movie or a book where you're watching this linear thing and yes maybe there's variations in how you watch it right it could be on your phone it could be on a computer monitor a tv or in the movie theater and so there's differences in the experience there but when you get to games i mean yes you're playing it all on you know it could be a move or a, a computer monitor or tv screen but even the platforms you're running it off of give you such varied experiences, right? It's, you know, way back when, you know, shouting it out, pimping it out, Matt and I, peer reviewed, Cyberpunk 2077. You know, we yeah, I was there for this. That. I think that oh. was your last episode. Like your last uh, <laughs> episode in a row. I remember I was there for it. <laughs> I was like, and that and was it. Yasser. Cyberpunk and... killed him. That was it. <laughs> And uh, we talked about it. I think we came across, or at least I came across, I remember, with the opinion that if you had a PC with high enough specs at the time, I would recommend it. Otherwise, do not play this game on consoles. (laughs) I highly don't recommend it. And I feel like having that perspective really is better and more holistic because at the end of the day, if you had me summarize it, I would probably say I don't recommend it because in order to actually enjoy it, you needed a pretty decently high computer, you know, in terms of spec wise to actually get enjoyment out of that game at the time of release when we played it. Right. So Mm -hmm. obviously now, you know, this is almost three years out since release. It's got several patches updates. I don't know how much better it is. I haven't touched it since that peer review, but it is that thing where knowing where I'm coming from and even knowing that angle of experience really lends a better perspective to say, hey, I'm not recommending this because right now it's awful. Obviously, things can change, right? Especially with games, right? As we mentioned before, things typically only get better with time. I've never heard of a game getting patched and it getting worse because they patched it. I feel like that that's not the objective of the, of the developers <laughs> to make a great game at launch and then to systematically to over time it. degrade it <laughs> yeah. such that it's unplayable. You know, by the time Tiffany gets to it on her backlog, she can't oh, even yeah. complete it because it's so bad. Yeah. I don't know. 
It's just like not playing it on release. It's just like it two pixels. An eight out of ten. Yeah. One thing I really exactly. appreciate about just to back it up a little bit to Rotten Tomatoes, I like that they split it up between critics and audience score <gasps> yes. because sometimes yes. this is not everybody. But sometimes critics can be super pretentious and be like, oh, I don't <laughs> like the physics of this water. And it's like, stop it. S- stop it. Stop it. It was one puddle. Get over it. It's a fun <laughs> puddle game. Oh, the, the, yeah. the infamous puddle game. Yeah. Like, to me, that, like, I wish more people did that. Like, I, I wish that was built in and baked into all these, like, big sites. Because, yeah, they're going to review review bomb some of these big things, like, xbox people are going to review bomb playstation stuff playstation is going to review bomb xbox stuff like it might happen but it it would be nice just to see because i i do like if if a movie i watched last night has a 33 percent on rotten tomatoes did i look at that no it was a rom-com it was fun it, it was a fine time but the audience had like such a higher tomato meter and i would probably be recommending it like i at least gave it a three out of five like it was still fine i just wish they had like more of the people type people instead of just critics who are just like no well this has already been done before have you seen breath of the wild like it's like stop stop comparing it <laughs> like no. the, dem- the democratic people's republic you know what I exactly mean? <laughs> i mean matt if you want to publish a review for that rom-com you know we can get up there bump that to 34 percent right. you know get you published on your rxp podcast <laughs> people right. will respect it i guarantee it <laughs> Uh, I, that is an interesting point though. And I do want to shout this out because I feel like as much as I hate on steam in particular, not to say I hate PC gaming, but I dislike steam. One of the things I love about (laughs) steam though, is their review section because when, uh, you go to reviews, it's all user reviews, right? Mm -hmm. So on the steam page for a product, you do not see official reviews. Those aren't posted there. They don't like host those. They host user reviews. But what is interesting about the user reviews for these games, they actually show at the time that the user posted the review how long the user played oh, the game for. That's and so really it'll good. say the user and then how many hours on log, right? Because Steam is always tracking that data to say, you've played this game for 24 hours. you played this game for 0.7 hours, right? And I feel like that for the games that you know people look to uh, buy and play on their computer via mm-hmm. Steam is such a great tool. And I really appreciate that because obviously you can go ahead and see if that person only has one hour on record and they say it's like overwhelmingly positive, you know, how much can you trust that person's review, right? Even though they give it a plus review and then you go and look at someone who has like 70 hours on record and they give it like, it's an okay, you know, it's like, who are you going to trust more, right? right? Not to say that time investment is the end all be all, but it does give me a little bit more to say, if you had this running for that long, I mean, I can hope that you're not just leaving the game on and then posting a review after letting it run for 70 hours to trick me, but I hope you actually <laughs> spent the whole 70 hours to play the game, right? That yeah. this is a, a real, you played this for 70 hours and you think it's just okay. And I feel like that's also another great aspect, right? That they were able to get that much time out of it and come out with this opinion right at the end of the day. And so that gives another angle. I feel like this all comes back to, as even Yasser pointed out, these are such subjective things and trying to give it an objective score doesn't make sense. At least on Steam, they don't do that. They have a, it's either positive or negative. So they give it a thumbs up or thumbs down and they they summarize it at the top of the page. So you don't even need to go down to the reviews. It just says, 
like total reviews like overall overwhelmingly positive or slightly positive or slightly negative overwhelmingly negative and that's such a great system i feel like steam at least has that and i feel like i wish other platforms because i feel like xbox and playstation nintendo will severely lack in review systems like there's really no reviews whatsoever on those platforms so you cannot see any sort of opinion which is i kind of feel where stuff like ign gamespot all these publication sites come into play to say, well, the platforms a lot of people play on don't even have any way of showing you a review mm-hmm. score. So we're going to be that source for you to say, if you want to go to on demand on release, like summary of how good this game is, come to our website. We got a review up for you. And so I do, uh, you know, I side with them, right? As much as I hate on IGN, especially for the whole episode review stuff, I do understand their point in the business. Mm-hmm. Also, to jump back a little bit, I do want to say, not to say that I uh, disagree, but I do understand Yasser's point when he brought up the whole, why would I pay someone to play a game that is awful, right? Like, I'm not saying I want to see a flood of one to five game review scores out there. (laughs) It just feels like the scales, because typically games are six six to ten, right, on average that we see from these big sites. Right. It feels like that's really what matters. And so if a game does get a six, that's at least in my opinion, when I see that score, it's like, oh, that is a bad game, right? Because if they only review six to tens, if this is getting a six, like that's essentially a one out of 10. And so Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it is, but at least in my mind, I'm like, okay, this isn't as good. This is like the best a bad game can be essentially right it's like a <laughs> or the or worst a good it's game like, could be i mean or the worst a good game could be that's true right because we're <laughs> we're not giving you 100 for free right it's like you gotta earn those points you know you're working your way up to that 100 yeah i think those are all really good points um to go back to what matt and alex were talking about with user reviews i do think it is way too difficult to get an a good idea of what the gaming community in general thinks of a particular game. You're totally right. Um, for coming from my perspective of the Steam community, I don't like the reviews as much as you do. Um, I think most of them are just trolling. <laughs> like, Fair uh, enough, yeah, who knows? Most of them are just total jokes, uh, as in like, oh, I didn't have a girlfriend before I started this game. Nothing has changed, but this game is great. That's literally like half the reviews on Steam. <laughs> <laughs> But anyways, um, I do agree, like Xbox, I think they do a pretty good job with reviews, but they're not nearly as good as Steam's as far as like knowing how many hours they've played, Um, and they also have a bunch of trolls. Um, PlayStation doesn't have any reviews from what I've seen, at least it's really difficult to find on the PlayStation Store, so there's definitely so much more improvement that we could have for user reviews. I think Metacritic has that option, but I don't know how many people use Metacritic for user reviews, and how many people kind of just flame video games that they don't like yeah. when, when there's like a controversial thing that happened too. Um, so it does have to go in with a grain of salt, but I think having that combination like Rotten Tomatoes has um, really does give you a good balance between critical reviews and then just your average gamer reviews and what they think of a game. Oh yeah. I really care what Joe Schmo 79 really cares, you know, really has to say about this. It's very important, <laughs> but yeah, no, in all honesty, it definitely is because right. It's, it's we as, you know, quote unquote, fellow gamers out there looking out for each other and being like, Hey, this is a great game. Don't skip on it. Despite what IGN wants to give it. And on that note, we're finally going to get to the vague game 
that I was referencing all the way in the beginning that Yasser expressed interest into one of Here we go. And so I'm going to, so I have four games here. And so these are the Metacritic scores for these games. And I just want to have a small discussion around these four as kind of this, I guess, final segment. And then we'll have some time afterwards if you guys have any additional remarks you want to make that don't get brought up here. But so first of all, and these are going from top to bottom. So based on their Metacritic score, the first game I have here is a game that I'm currently playing and I'm enjoying a lot and I feel like doesn't deserve, well, Okay, I understand the Metacritic score, but I don't agree, especially <laughs> with the amount of negative remarks it gets, right? Score aside, and that's Forspoken. Mm-hmm. So this game came out in January. It's developed by Square Enix. You know, it's developed on the Luminous Engine, which is the same engine that they used for Final Fantasy XV, but it is a newer version, so it's not just the same thing they used for that game, but it is updated. And... Actually, I want you guys to guess. Can you guess Forspoken's current Metacritic score? I'm going to guess it's a 71. I'm going to say 64. Ooh, I was gonna, uh, I'll say 68, right? In between. <laughs> All right. You could have so said 69, Matt man. So is the closest. <gasps> Dang. It wow. is a 65 on Metacritic. Wow. That's brutal. So, kind of rough. What a terrible game. Next. (laughs) (laughs) And I want to say this, right? It Obviously, I think I'm the only person out of the four of us here that have played this game, so I'm really the only one that can have opinions on it because you guys haven't played it yet or at all. And I feel like I can understand why it's a 65. Now, the thing is, I feel a lot of the things people criticize it for can be remedied, and maybe that's the thing where it's something that can be remedied is why you give it such a low score. And I'm not saying via patches, right? It's not like, oh, give it a month and it'll be a better game. It's like, it's something you can just handle by playing the game. And a lot Mm -hmm. of that comes from both how you play the game and also the accessibility. And I can understand these are things to say, you can honestly criticize the game and give it a low score because you have to do these things. But I feel like if you play it like this, it gives you a better way of enjoying it. And the two things I'm talking about are, one, the accessibility options. Uh, you can, a lot of people criticize the dialogue. There's specifically a option in accessibility for turning down and basically minimalizing the amount that the characters speak. And so they will only speak <laughs> during cutscenes. Like so if you hate the dialogue, <laughs> you can turn it such that you only hear the cutscene dialogue. Interesting. That's Isn't gaming. that great? That's gaming. Isn't that a great option, I mean, it's though? Curating, you know what I'm it's curating your play, so that's nice. Options. I'm just saying. Exactly. I'm just saying, when someone made that accessibility option, they knew. They knew at that <laughs> moment. They're like, this, everyone's going to hate but this. But at least it's an option. That's all I'm saying. Like, I feel like that's the big thing, right? Because gaming is an interactive medium. I feel like a lot of it is the option of how you interact with it. So if you hate it, you can just turn it off. It'd be worse if you hate it and you can't turn it off, right? That's all I'm saying, right? Like that. Give me the option at least. Sure. Also on top of that, uh, a lot of people talk about how, quote unquote, the game might be boring to play. I feel like this game really is set up to enjoy once you have all the abilities. So part of the progression of the game is you beat story bosses and you unlock more magic spells. 
And the game really shines once you have all the magic available to you. And so I feel like part of it just is a pacing problem to say, hey, don't try to do all the side content immediately, but maybe mainline the story until you can get all the magic and then go do the side content. Because once you have all the spells, it's a great time. And might I say, I think it has more spells than Harry Hogwarts Legacy. Oh. I think Hogwarts Legacy like, only has like 27 spells. Yeah, around many. there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, there's Forspoken, Forspoken has over 40. Spells? Wow. Over 40? Spells. Wow. Castable spells. Wow. And so all I'm saying is just spell count. You know, obviously Forspoken. <laughs> is <a> <laughs> <I don't> <laughs> Based on spell count alone, it's a very objective thing. But yeah, it's it clearly better than Hogwarts Legacy, guys. Come on. Obviously. Exactly. <laughs> 40 is greater than 27. That's simple. We all know it. Yeah. Um, I mean. Yeah. And so. I, Oh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I just mean uh, this is kind of the crux of the issue with the reviews, right? Um, if if a game speaks to you as far as the gameplay itself and the objective and the gameplay loop, um, no amount of issues or bugs is really going to get in your way of enjoying that game. Um, so, yeah, it's good for reviews to go through all these specific details of the game and um, have us interpret whether or not the reviewer likes specific aspects of the game. But at the end of the day, you're only going to know if it speaks to you by playing it yourself, by seeing the gameplay, and really just experiencing it. Um, the review itself is not going to affect your enjoyment of the game. You could have a million spells, you could have two spells. If the game speaks to you and you like that gameplay loop, you're going to love it. Right, and I think one of the core aspects is, not to say it's as good as Marvel Spider-Man, but it comes pretty darn close to Marvel Spider-Man of having fun traversing the environment. Oh, like it's not oh. as fun as the web slinging, but there's a lot of good movement, and I feel like because this is you know an open world game, right? I've a lot of my fun in open world games in particular is how you get from one place to another, and this game has plenty of spells that can get you there and look cool doing it. So I'm just having mm -hmm. a good time flipping around, gliding, parkouring, cross water. Parkour. Yeah, parkouring, magical parkour, as they call it. And it's just a good time. And I feel like in this case, it's just being done a little in injustice because obviously, as we hinted at, it feels like a lot of people use scores to give it a, am I going to even bother looking at this or not? And I would say, sure, maybe don't pay $70 like I did for this. Maybe to most people, this isn't a, worth a full price $70 title. But I don't think it's it's review scores reflective to say you wouldn't have fun with this at all, right? It's like, maybe this is a budget title for you. Maybe you can get it at $40, $30, $20, right? I think there's enough merit there, and I feel like that maybe also hinders it because, obviously, a lot of these things are reviewed at release. And so, not to say price is ever a factor. I don't think anyone ever really factors in the price to review something because obviously you're going to you know pay whatever the msrp is and then you're going to review it based on the merits of the product to say it i had a good time or it's something worth experiencing versus it's something that's not but i feel like because reviews are kind of this stasis in time right of when it came out this is what we thought about it it feels like it's a little bit a disservice to say maybe don't check this out or Maybe if it is a 6 out of 10, maybe on your scale, 6 out of 10 is, I'll look at this when it's in the bargain bin or like when mm -hmm. it comes up for free on PlayStation Plus. And fine by me, you know, as long as you experience it, because I feel like it is definitely worth a look at at whatever price point you feel comfortable. But I just wanted to point it out to say, 
I'm enjoying it. I think I would give it, I have completed the story. I haven't finished the platinum. That's what I'm currently working on. That's what's preventing me from getting to stuff like One Piece Odyssey and, you know, Hogwarts Legacy, which we'll be talking about in a minute. But, uh, yeah, so I I would give it an 8 out of 10. That's my personal record. You know, okay. I usually tweet my reviews on Twitter. So I think at this point it's sitting at a time because it's a fun game. It just has a little bit of things holding it back, you know, narrative notwithstanding and maybe some slight uh, pacing issues. But besides that, I think it's a pretty good time. You know, honestly, for me, like what kind of killed it is I had pre-ordered this game back in October and then I played the demo and I was like, this isn't for me at $70 right now. Mm. So it, I appreciate Square for putting out the demo um, and helping me decide that. Uh, I kind of feel bad for them, though, because they put out a demo and then I was like, oh, I'm going to cancel my pre-order. <laughs> um, but I I played it for a little bit and I was like, there's no way. Like, this game is coming out a, like a week and a half before Hogwarts Legacy. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not gonna even going to do this right now, so... Maybe I'll check it out later. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, reviews are very relative, both to other games that you're playing, then also just your perspective as a gamer and what you enjoy. Um, So overall, it happens with everyone, I think. And everyone's got that game that they just loved or at least enjoyed. And they just didn't understand why everyone was giving it a 6 out of 10. Um, I will never forget Tiffany um, pooping on... Pokemon Scarlet, uh, I think it was a very enjoyable game, and she didn't even put it in her top like six or whatever it was. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not mad. <laughs> Your voice kept getting higher and higher as I could hear and the I, tears being suppressed. I'm, and I'm okay. I love Yasser bringing that up because the next game I'm gonna bring up here is Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. Wow. And. I want you guys to guess, what do you think the Metacritic, the Metacritic score for this game is? Oh, well, that's an interesting question. I think the I think it's a 75. Ooh. I think Metacritic got, it was a 75. Uh, like, I hate to be, like, Price is Right rules, but 76 was being called to me. Like, I don't, I don't know why. All right, 74 it is. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Yasser wins it. It's at a 72 on Metacritic. Wow, that's really low. I know a lot of people that like that game, which I know that doesn't take that into account, but that's surprising <laughs> to me. <laughs> how, how many of them are on Metacritic, right? How many can we look up? Yes, sir. Are you Search on Metacritic? I am now. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Yasser, did you finish? Did you finish? I haven't finished Carl- it yet, no. It's the reoccurring issue I have with Nintendo Switch games in general which is I put them down for prolonged periods of time. But mm-hmm. with my time with it, I'm actually which shocked by much? how much. Uh, how much I think around like 12 hours. Okay. I put in like um, 35. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you've put in way more than I have still. Um, but the fact is I'm, I was just shocked by how much I still enjoyed it considering I'm a guy who actually is very big on not having games have technical issues. Like I shit on cyberpunk because of all the technical (laughs) issues, but Pokemon just has a completely different perspective to me because I don't think of Pokemon as like a very graphical intensive game or a game that ever is run super well, or has really impressed me with its performance. Um, So to me, it was just like, Oh, it's a Pokemon game. Yeah. It had bugs. It had some weird bugs, 
yeah, the frame rate dropped at times, but it's a Pokemon game. It's a turn-based game. It's not like you're playing FPS. I thought it was really cool that they switched it to a open world perspective and you can kind of just do whatever you want. I feel like a lot of Pokemon gamers have been waiting for that for a very long time. And I just hope that they continue to kind of iterate on that process because clearly it's not the refined product it should be for a Pokemon game. We deserve better. So I'm glad those reviews still came out, but I enjoyed it way more than a seven out of 10, in my opinion. Yeah. And I mean, this brings up the point that Yasser brought up too. It feels like a lot of scores are relative as well. And obviously these scores, right, especially the Metacritic scores definitely don't dictate how we feel about these games, right? Because as he explained, if something calls out to you, it doesn't matter what score it got. It's something that you're going to enjoy. So a number really doesn't matter. But just because it's relative, I feel like these scores should be swapped, right? Like I feel like Forspoken should be at 72. <laughs> Dang! And Pokemon Scarlet should be at 65. Dang. And because even though I agree that I don't go to, I agree with Yasser, I don't go to Pokemon for like cutting edge technology, right? Like this isn't a cyberpunk. This isn't a, a crisis back in the day. You know, this isn't, you know, any cutting edge visual graphical performing game, but it is also the thing of what they attempted, I feel like in terms of the amount of ambition, but also the product that came out of it at the end of the day isn't commensurate with my expectations of it just actually being at least a decently performing game because I'm not too much of a stickler for performance either, but I feel like the fact that I've seen other games run much better on the switch and the fact that this barely even reached that, you know, one of the main things being breath of the wild, that thing came out at launch and that's still one of the best looking games on the switch. And a lot of games fail to even meet that level of quality. And I feel like, the fact that this is coming out, you know, six years later down the lifetime of the hardware, how have they not been able? And it's also not their first mainline Pokemon generation on the Switch, right? Sword and Shield came out in 2019. And so they've had time working with the hardware. So I just kind of expected enough to say it's at least performing well, right? Like I'm not looking for cyberpunk level graphics from Pokemon on the Switch. Imagine. But I wish it just had a little bit more invested into it. And to me, honestly, it just feels like a rush product. I feel like this is one of those things that can be better with patches, right? They can probably fix it if they actually invest more time into it, you know, the DLC which will inevitably come out and spend a little bit more time making it look and look well or look nice and run well. Um and I feel like it is at least for me where the scores aren't commensurate with my opinions at least. And so I'm just putting it out there to say my experiences are flip-flopped with these. I do also have said, like talking to you guys, I'm like, man, this is like a seven game, but it's a nine in my heart. Like, you know what I mean? Like the number of times I'm like, it's a 10 out of 10 for me. Like this is a Tiffany ass game. Like, you know, like you guys know. So it is like the scores are what they are, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, it, I I liked my time with Violet, but it, it also got to the point where I was like, man, there's just like, I just want to catch them all. And now I keep trying to catch them all, but now they're higher level than me. But now I got to get the gym bad. But now I got to get, I need to go back to the team that I was trying to level up. Cause you know, it's, I'm into this like weird paralysis with Pokemon and I haven't gotten back yet. So I haven't finished it, but I hope to finish it you know, before the year's over. Especially, I, I imagine myself when the DLC, when that DLC comes out and like, or like it gets announced or whatever and it shows me something cool. I'll be like, man, oh yeah, I need to get back in there. I'm hype. 
add that to your resolutions list. No, yeah. do not add that to my resolutions <laughs> list. <laughs> I don't like homework. All right. The next game on this list, because it seems like Matt doesn't have an opinion for Pokemon. I definitely don't. Like, sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm taking, you a, I'm taking a break from Pokemon for a bit. You definitely have an opinion for the next game. That's fine. Because you guys were already talking about it. We already talked about it on this podcast. Hogwarts Legacy. Ooh. So I am going to go off of the PC PS5 reviews Metacritic because the Xbox Metacritic is different. Oh. But because it's different and PC and PS5 are exactly the same, I'm just going to go based off theirs. Or if you guys want to average it, I can tell you after the fact. But what do you guys think the PC PS5 Metacritic score for Hogwarts Legacy is? I'm going to say it's an 82. I'm going to say 86. 81. Oh, Yasser, you should have cut the middle this time. Damn it. It's an 84 nice. okay. on PC okay. and PS5. And the Xbox uh, Series X and S score, in case you guys are wondering, it's a 90. Wow. Oh, I feel like nice. I feel like it's a little inflated because they're probably struggling for games over there. So, you know, this is, this <laughs> oh is the best game they've gotten in wow. a while. Okay. So that's why it's a 90. Okay, Alex. But, uh, <laughs> it's like so aggressive for no reason. <laughs> No, but I'm not taking shots. But that's kind of crazy how it has a, like that big of a difference, though. Like the, the I'm I'm happy Xbox players are getting to enjoy a great game. That's all. I I just want to shout. They they seem to be enjoying it, so that's great. Um, but you know, <laughs> as I mentioned before, I've not played this game at all. What do you guys think? With your experience, I know none of you have finished it, but with your experience thus far, do you think it is worthy of an 84? Is it higher? Is it lower? Is this a 10 out of 10 masterpiece? All right, Tiffany, you can go first. Uh, (laughs) I'm like frantically like waving my hands at the screen right now. (laughs) So honestly, this game is everything that I've dreamed of since I was 11 years old. And this, other than everyone kind of looking janky, I'm not going to lie, you guys. I don't know what it is. Like no one looks pretty. We all, their eyeballs are looking all over the place for some reason. Like I'm like, my character looks different every time I'm like doing something. So that's just, that's just like, you're a going through puberty. The, it's normal. Like this the, canon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. With the beautification of some of the people, even though I think professor fig looks fantastic, but yeah, some people, some people look a little bit wow. janky. However, I love it. I love the gameplay. I got chills at the title screen when I finally saw that Hogwarts Express and the castle come into view. I thought, I mean, there's some aspects that could be better. Um, You know, I thought the sorting hat ceremony was very, you know, dumbed down. Whatever. There's things that could be improved. But, like, otherwise, like, I've I've loved every moment of it. There's some things that I need to get past, and I've just accepted it, right? Like, they just say, like, you're a fifth-year student that's transferring. Where am I transferring from? Have I never been in school before? Did I magically get an owl at a, as a fifth-year? Like, there's – I have questions. Maybe I'll figure it out when I finish the game. Who knows? Uh, but otherwise, gameplay has been wonderful. The, the love and care that's gone into the castle itself has been – chef's kiss like i'm like just roaming i'm getting lost 
I like I literally like opened a door and I was like, where am I? And I like because you guys like in the movies and stuff, we've never seen the characters like go somewhere or actively go somewhere. Right. right? So like I never really had perspective of like where the classrooms were in relationship to each other or, you know, in. Well, I mean, we've always seen them cross that like central courtyard going from like one. Sure. Like that stone, the bridge. Yes, area, that one bridge and everything. Which called. that bridge is in the game, which is also amazing. Like I love that they've taken a lot from the movies. But like I'm literally like, oh, this classroom is like a stairwell below another classroom. Like right. I didn't know that. Or I straight was like, where am I? And I just opened a door, <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god, this is the defense against the dark arts classroom. Like I literally like opened the door and saw it and knew immediately where I was. And I. Everything has just been so wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I think, honestly, I think eighty four is is probably going to be low for me if if it keeps going the way it's going. Like to me, like I love this game. Like to to me, what's interesting about this is because I've read a couple reviews since then, since I've like started playing it. Um, not to the effect of um, reading the whole thing like from start to finish. But kind of just like hearing the feel of how people recommend this. And basically they put it into two camps. Like, hey, are you a Harry Potter fan? If yes, mm-hmm. you should play this game. If no, if you want to skip it, it's fine. Like it, it's a it's a formidable open world experience, but it's not anything life changing. But for me, it's like I've already read enough for me because I know I'm a Harry Potter fan and I've wanted my letter for a long time and like I finally get to experience that. So for me, it's like when I've used reviews of like, that's how when I had a conversation with my friend who has not played it and he's like, hey, have you have you played this? And I know he's a Harry Potter fan because we've talked about it, right? And so I'm like, yo, Jay, you need to play this game and like, don't don't like dilly dally. Don't wait for a sale. Just play it right now because you're going to love it and like you're going to spend a ton of hours on this it'll probably take you months to play this game. Like, cause you're just going to like dive into this world. And like, to me, it's a, it's a great experience. It's one of those things where I know there's a lot of controversy and there's anything with license too. like people aren't going to feel the same way about any license as you do. And so you have to take that into account with all these review scores. But for me as a Harry Potter fan, like, yo, this is, this is it. This is, this is a reason why it was one of my highest anticipated games of 2023 because it's going to be it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to beat in my mind. Yep. Honestly, there's not really much else to say uh, outside of what Tiffany and Matt have already said. Um people have asked me very similar questions about like, "Hey, do you recommend this game?" I'm not a Harry Potter fan. I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. What do you think? Um and I think it really does go back to what Matt said. Um that the way that you recommend this game changes based on how big of a Harry Potter fan you are. Mm-hmm. Um, because what the, one of the best things about this game is how true to the source material they are. Whether it be um, the music that's oh God, throughout yeah. the game. Oh my God, the music yeah. is fantastic. They literally yep. took it from the movies. I, lo- I, can, I love that. Yep. And, and it's like so subtle. Alex said, it's not those in your same, face. Yeah, yeah, and they also kind of like remixed it in a way. Like they're mm-hmm. not just reusing the same music, right? Mm-hmm. They are you you can feel it like the same tones of that same track, but it's not the same, mm-hmm. which I think is really really amazing. 
Um, and like Alex said, you have these corridors that you're aware of uh, from the movies themselves, and they replicate those, but they also give you that additional context and perspective to show how they connect different parts of the castle and you get to explore different parts that you've never seen in the movies. It's all just a dream come true for any Harry Potter fan, obviously. But those aren't the things that a non-Harry Potter fan is going to really acknowledge or appreciate as much as we would, right? Um, And I do think there are a lot of um, missing parts as far as a video game is concerned uh, like a backstory, like Tiffany was saying, like that backstory, if it's coming, I can't wait, but <laughs> it might never come. <laughs> and honestly, I won't mind because yeah. at, at its most simple form, it's just a recreation of a world that we just love. Right. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they did it in this huge open world that you get to just explore endlessly and get to figure out things that you've always wondered about is just awesome. Um, and it's hard for us to really review it in this, in that context of not being a Harry Potter fan. I don't think it's our place to really recommend it to non Harry Potter fans. You're going to have to get that perspective from someone else, Mm -hmm. but from Harry Potter fan perspective, it really is a dream come true. And it has so much awesome um, gameplay elements. And even like being 15, I feel like was kind of necessary because you don't want to have that huge prologue where you're learning these basic spells for like five hours right um so really speeds up the gameplay for what you really want to get out of the game but yeah coming from alex's perspective he might have completely different questions that we might not be able to answer from our perspectives alex i saw you had a question so i was oh no no, he was throwing that off he was raising his hand he was raising his hand yeah i'm the uh, if I can get around to it before I do a peer review, which will probably inevitably come for this podcast, uh, I'll be the perspective of not necessarily being an anti-fan, but having experience, you know, read up to five of the books, the first five, and watched every movie. Mm-hmm. I would say I'm okay with Harry Potter, but I'm not a <laughs> fanatic like you guys are. So sure. I'll, I'll maybe be the outsider's perspective if we ever get to that point, uh, if I can complete it in time we get around to it. I mean, that's a pretty interesting interpretation of Outsider's perspective. You've read five of them and watched all the movies. I mean, you're still somewhat of a Harry Potter fan Mm -hmm. at the very least, um, which is different than from someone who hasn't experienced it at all. Like, you at least have a basic understanding and context of the world itself. You have things that you appreciate and maybe things that you don't appreciate. Um, But coming from a perspective of not knowing the universe at all, I feel like would be really difficult to really understand from our perspectives because we already know so much about this wizarding world. Right. I, I would just say, I guess, in terms of the history, there's a lot more that probably the little details I won't recognize. Like, I won't right. be like Tiffany and realize, oh, this is the Defense Against the Dark Arts classroom. Like, sure. I'm yeah, just yeah. like, oh, it's a dingy, dark room <laughs> with tables and beakers. <laughs> I literally cannot wait until he does the opening credits and I can't wait to explain to him an Easter egg because I don't think he'll know the Easter egg or understand the Easter egg. Um, So I'm really excited for that part for that conversation. I'm excited too. Cause I'm, I'm not sure I know what you're talking about either. So that's great. We've already <laughs> talked about that Easter egg. Oh, we have. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. yeah, I obliviated my mind. Crack that egg open. Sorry. Yeah, you obliviated that out of your mind. <laughs>
All right, and for the last title, you know, there's a trend here. Maybe you guys have noticed it. Yeah, the, the scores are going higher. And that is, at least three of us here have experienced it. It's a God of War. Elden Ring. Oh. <laughs> nice. So what do you guys think the current Metacritic score for Elden Ring is? Oh. I'm going to say 96. Is Ooh. it a 96? I'm going to say 94. There's no way I'm splitting that down the middle. I'm going 93. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, you didn't need to because Tiffany got it right on the nice. mark. Wow. It's at a 96 on Metacritic. Wow. Yeah. I think wow. I knew that like as an actual fact. It was like the <laughs> highest scored game of last year or something. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the highest scored game this year is Metroid Prime Remastered at a 95. <laughs> Because oh my gosh, Metroid fans, including myself, if if Hogwarts Legacy wasn't out right now, I'd be playing Metro Prime Remasters on the Switch. Because oh, no we way. are we're starving. Feed us, <laughs> please. Someone feed us, please. Don't forget Metroid us. Prime Four. Where? Where is it? We'll give Retro, you a ninety-five. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Uh, yeah, the fact that it got ninety-five, they're putting out Metro Prime Four three months earlier just because. That's of that. right. <laughs> That's right. They're like, you know what? 2030. Okay. 2029. How about that? Quarter four. <laughs> September. <Yeah. laughs> Amazing. Um, you know, I'll start with this because Elden Ring was my game of the year last year. It, it was my most anticipated for the year before. And it was my favorite game last year. For, for me, it was a 10 out of 10. And this is from one of those things where I did not need to see a review. My favorite genre of games are Soulsborne games. Like, that is my favorite genre of games. I love just abusive games that just, like, beat your head against a wall to get through. That is it. That's that's my game style that I, I just love. And so I didn't... I like how you included games there, because if you didn't, I was totally going to clip that part out for the singer. Okay. <laughs> Good. I'm future-proofing <laughs> you know. myself. Um, but, you know, so for, for Elden Ring, for me... It didn't matter what the score was. I was going to love this game. Um, it's just kind of like Wolong this year. It's a game that I'm really anticipating, and it's a sim- similar genre. But for me, like the reason why I think it deserves that 96, and this this might be different than most people, because 96 is pretty high. Like I don't know what the top Metas- Metacritic score, but it's not much higher than that. Um, but for me, I, I think it deserves it because it takes a really great genre, it makes it better. And I don't know another game that has done that since Breath of the Wild. And it's like an age-old comparison. But Breath of the Wild did something different for open-world games. Like, hey, you see that? You can go get it. Like, that was new at that point. Elden Ring, it's like taking this beautiful genre, which is usually pretty linear with some backtracking, but made it an open-world and made it make sense and able to do it. Like, to me, when you... There's not many times in um, the life cycle of any sort of generation for uh, video games where you see that next jump to where now when a Soulsborne is made, they're all going to be pointing back to Elden Ring. And and so like, I feel like that that deserves a 10 in my book because it's not just going and making a good version of something. It's making it the best version of that genre. Yeah, sir. I agree with the score, uh, the Metacritic score. I think it really did move the genre forward, uh, especially for Souls-like games, but even for open-world games. 
I feel like uh, it set a new standard for open world games, both art style, gameplay wise. Um, it did a lot right. And whether or not you agree with it as far as it being your favorite game or your favorite type of genre, um, obviously that could be debated. But I don't think it's easy to debate that it didn't deserve the score it did because it was just such a good game as far as the amount of content it gave you, the amount of fantastic gameplay that it had. Um, and yeah, the lore was different because obviously Souls games work differently as far as their lore and their story. Um, but the way that they did it, if you're into that, you're going to love it because they did a great job with that too. Um, so I didn't finish it yet, sorry, <laughs> but I loved my time with it so far and I do plan on going back to it after I finish Red Dead 2 someday. <laughs> so you're never going uh, to do it? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> Red Dead 2 is just in front of it right now, um, but I do hope to get back to it. Great game. Um, and I think one of the other pieces of it that I really love uh, for an open world game is the fact that there was multiplayer involved too. Um, yeah. You know me, I love multiplayer and having multiplayer aspects in games as much as possible. And to be able to go into a Souls game, I know you could do this uh, with previous Souls games, but I think they just um, implemented it even better this time around and made it an even more accessible Souls game than the previous titles um, because you had that option. And the open world gives you that option to backtrack whenever you want, unlike some of the more uh, linear Souls-like games in the past. Yeah, and I think for me, this is probably the only score that we've brought up out of these four games that I agree with. You know, oh. being the fact that I haven't played Hogwarts Legacy, so oh, okay. I have zero opinion on that. I have no stake on that score, but I agree with this being in 96. I A lot of the points that Matt and Yasser also brought up of saying this is this is a landmark title in terms of just open world games in general, right? Like a lot of the how it designs its world, how you progress through the world and just how you interact with the world is such a leap forward that as Matt said, you know, games should use this as inspiration to say, okay, if this is how games can be because right from software has made it, we need to improve from this point. So take this, style this design and make it better but also give it our own spin right because as you also said you know it has its own way of telling its story it has its own design quirks that maybe not a lot of people agree with you know me included i'm not the biggest fan of how it tells its narrative but i do can or at least i can appreciate the gameplay and i feel like that's really the hallmark right as you also mentioned the multiplayer I was there with Matt, you know, taking down the final boss <laughs> and me slowly fading away as I was cheering him on to be like, you got to get the last few hits in because I didn't have any more healing on me, so I passed <laughs> away. And so I was just hoping over voice comms that he got through. But it's moments like that that also got me through the game because it was my first Soulsborne game. You know, I didn't play Demon Souls. I didn't play the Demon Souls remake. I didn't play Dark Souls 1 through 3. I didn't play Bloodborne. And so this was really my first attempt at the series and the fact that, you know, me generally being, I guess, in a way hesitant at tackling the franchise, knowing how, I guess, brutally honest you have to be in terms of being good enough, right? Like this is one of those games where it is get good, otherwise mm -hmm. you won't be able to progress and being able to use the multiplayer as kind of a scouting tool, right? Because I use the tactic of going to a new zone <laughs> putting down my summoning sign, you know, someone fingers me, calls me into their world. <laughs> and 
there is no repercussions when you're a visitor. So I can go in, I get all the souls for the enemies killed. And if I die, I just bring all those, or excuse me, echoes, they call them. So I bring all those echoes back with me to my world and then I can use it to get stronger. And so it's a very low, you know, invest or low risk of investment because I can get stronger while also learning the area. And so I really appreciate that aspect. And that's what helped get me through the game because it removed that level of fear to say, I don't know what's coming. Do I want to run around with like five levels worth of experience on me that I can lose at any given moment? No. So I'm going to go run into this stranger's world with reckless abandon, see where I can die. And then (laughs) once I do die, because I jump into that bottomless pit, bring everything back with me and then tackle it on my own. And also at the same time, maybe summoning some help uh, to get me through the way. So definitely agree with this. And it was, it was a good time, you know, helping out uh, Matt and Yasser. I don't know if you, you guys, you got it on Xbox, right? Uh, so Matt and I game share, but, and this game specifically, I thought was going to be a better title to play on PC. Um, just because like you said, you got to get good. And when I got to get good, I got to have the least input latency as possible. (laughs) And so I was like, (laughs) uh, uh, I dodged and I died and I did that 10 times in a row. I was like, all right, I'm going to PC. I'm done. (laughs) Um, so I didn't end up playing with Matt. Um, unfortunate. I know we had very big ambitions to be the duo wizard group that we were going to be. Uh, Dumbledore and who are you going to be? I forget. Snape? I was Snape, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I still was. Happened, I was Severus, man. I, I, <laughs> Severus was there. Always. But can I, can I just say, um, as someone who is new to the Souls series in general, a very underrated aspect of the multiplayer for me were those notes that people left behind in the missions um usually they were just funny uh like ah yes but whole <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> but sometimes they actually had really good insights about like how not to die in five seconds yeah and so i thought that was a really cool aspect um to kind of engage with the rest of the community while you're playing solo even Right. Definitely the souls born is a community experience. You know, you want those finger, but whole (laughs) (laughs) or in front of the turtle Pope dog. (laughs) I I liked every single one of those. I I (laughs) uploaded every single one of those. (laughs) Are those in game notes? They or sure like are. other people mm-hmm. leave them. Yeah, they appear as like magical inscriptions in the world that players leave, and then you can uh, click on them to read them while you're standing over them. I'll okay. tell you what. And so it, playing. And so as Yasser was mentioning, a lot of people use it to warn you of certain mm-hmm. things. Typically, to say watch, you know, ahead, watch left, mm-hmm. or something like that. Because I put that in the tutorial area. There was a ambush on the left, and so right before it, I just put one that said left. And it's got like thousands of likes, but every time someone likes it, you get full HP and MP. So like constantly as I play it, especially when it was starting to go and like people were just like learning how to rate, I would like Mm -hmm. get constant ratings just because I was like left. And then they would know like something is going to happen from the left. Literally did the bare minimum. (laughs) No, the bare minimum was just me walking by and be like, good luck, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> great game you didn't say finger left uh, that's that, true. that would have been the truth <laughs> butthole all right yeah butthole all right 
do you guys have any additional remarks you want to make? Any last second thoughts about reviews? No? Okay. I guess the review is, you know, this is a case closed. All right. With that, that brings <laughs> us to the end of episode 78. If you guys have a review of this episode of the podcast, you know, leave it down in a comment below on YouTube or on the podcast service of your choice in case there is a review system there. You know, if you like the episode, please give us a positive review. If you don't want to leave a comment in either of those places, you can tweet at us at rxp underscore podcast or write into our email rxp.podcast at gmail.com. Only positive thoughts, please. Now you can give us negative thoughts too. Maybe maybe you don't think Elden Ring is a 96. You know, write in. You can uh, get some angry replies from Matt about how he disagrees with your opinion. All caps. One of the goats. Exactly. Uh, shout out to Grandmaster Doug for our music. And until next time, take care. Like, butthole? We're starving.